The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. Welcome to another edition of the Streaking the Lawn podcast. This is Caroline, and I am joined today. We just have a guest with us to start right now. I'm super excited. We have the college basketball expert from SBNation.com, Ricky O'Donnell, joining us today. Ricky, how are you? I'm great, Caroline. How are you? I'm hanging in there. It's um, shockingly already time to talk about basketball. Are you ready for the new season? I cannot wait for the new season. I feel like this college season in particular is really wide open. It seems like there was so much turnover over the last season. Uh, so I think it's going to create a really fun college basketball season and another great March Madness. Oh, man. I don't know if we're quite ready. to. T- we have to talk about it at some point. You know, like I think a lot of Virginia fans are in the same boat. Um, we kicked off this week at Streaking Milan our countdown to the new season. We're getting close to – starting the new season 2018-2019, but it's hard to do that without at least touching on the way last season ended. Obviously, Virginia was unranked to start the season. They climbed all the way to number one in the AP poll, uh, 31-2 regular season record, ACC regular season champs, ACC tournament champs, and then made history in a way that a team never really wants to, becoming the first number one seed to lose to a 16 in that just brutal fluke of a game against UMBC. When you watch that game or you look back on it, like how do you recommend that Virginia fans get over it or what do we take from that and how do we move on? Yeah, well, I mean, the nice thing is that Virginia is going to have another really good team this year. We know that college basketball is such a volatile sport, especially in a single elimination postseason tournament. So, I mean, there's really no historic precedent for what UMBC did to Virginia last year. I think if you played that game 100 times, Virginia probably wins 99 of them. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, you look at some things that happened in that game. In the first half, UMBC was able to, you know, tie – it was 21-21 going into half. It's like, at that point, you thought that that was the best-case scenario for UMBC. And then they just got unfathomably hot from three. Darius Lyles was just uh, destroying Virginia's uh, contain. And at that point, Virginia's offense just wasn't built to overcome a big lead we know, or a big deficit. We know that Virginia likes to slow the pace down, kind of ground, grind out games, play them at their own tempo. And, uh, you know, when UMBC got the game going up and down in its favor, I don't think Virginia was really built for a comeback, especially without DeAndre Hunter, who really was Virginia's yeah. factor throughout the season. So, uh, you know, there's, that's going to hang over the program probably forever. I mean, it's just something that Virginia fans are going to have to deal with. But the best way to get over it is the fact that uh, Tony Bennett's proven time and time again that he's able to build a consistent winner. Virginia's going to be really good this year. They're going to, probably going to be really good next year and probably going to be really good the year after that. So uh, despite that you know, horrible loss that really tainted what was an incredible season for Virginia, 
uh, I think Virginia fans can take solace in the fact that, you know, the team's going to be in contention in the toughest conference in America every year, and they're going to have another chance every year to prove themselves in the NCAA tournament because Bennett has shown he can consistently get them to march. Yeah, that's what I think I have to keep. I'm actually one I've leaned into it. It's kind of like, hey, this is a thing that happened. Um, it's, you're right. It's going to be something that becomes a trivia question. I think the way that the team handle it afterwards and people, some people I know will like make fun of the like, Oh, they handled it so classily. And it was so graceful in losing people. Like, what does that matter? You're still losers. Like, but I think if like you have an issue where the team is, you know, upending benches in the locker rooms or, you know, talking out to the media or something like that, this, the story kind of snowballs on itself and becomes a much bigger thing than it already is with just a kind of fluke performance on the court. And like you mentioned, no Deandre, they lose a little bit of that containability with someone like Lyles. Um, and when you have a team like Virginia that was shooting close to 40% on the season from three shoot 18%. And then you have a team like um, UMBC that was shooting 30% on the season shoot 50%. That's just a anatomy for an upset, but you're right. They're going to be good this year. Um, but there's been some stuff in the news lately, including this past Monday uh, Monday, Tuesday, there was the new, or not new, but the FBI situation is finally underway with some court proceedings happening. Like, what's the latest with the FBI situation around some of those um, apparel companies, and what what do you think is going to be the impact on college basketball? Well, this has to be great for Virginia fans, in a <laughs> sense, because Virginia is not in a position to really compete for those top 10, top 15, top 20 guys, yet they still are able to win every year. Yeah, it's a little comparable to kind of what Villanova did with six redshirt guys last year. It's like Villanova or Virginia is very much like the pure essence of a college basketball program. <laughs> exactly. Whatever, whatever the hell that means in, in 2018. <laughs> uh, but uh, basically the opening arguments for the trial were started today. The Adidas executive, Jim Gatto, was uh, taking the stand and, you know, what I thought was really interesting about it is that because the FBI has these wiretaps, they have video of, you know, documentation of all these things happening, Gatto didn't even try to defend himself by saying that, you know, he was innocent or that these things didn't happen. Instead, he tried to paint a picture of college basketball corruption as a whole, in that he needed to do this to level the playing field against his competitors. You saw Oregon's name get dragged into the news today. Yeah. Hmm, why is that interesting? It's because Oregon's pretty much the flagship Nike school. You saw yeah. uh, Maryland, who's an Under Armour school, be dragged into it with uh, Silvio D'Souza, who's a player who went to Kansas in Adidas school. So, Well, uh, yeah, when you see the numbers that they – what did they say? 150000 is what Kansas offered and Maryland offered twenty k. Yeah. Um. <laughs> the, I saw 150000 for Nazir Little, who uh, ended that's up right. – yeah. Going from he was gonna pledge to Arizona. He actually tweeted that he decommitted from Arizona without ever committing. Like it was a done <laughs> deal, but he never like officially did it. Yeah. Uh, so Nazir Little ends up going to North Carolina. I mean, that's kind of interesting too because Carolina had the academic fraud scandal hanging yep. over the program for so long. Now it's like UNC is like a safe house within the NCAA because I mean, <laughs> obviously they make college basketball, a lot of money, they're a marquee program. Now that's where you go to make sure that you're not going to get in trouble. So, exactly. Uh, the whole thing is just utterly ridiculous. I think it's going to be a movie one day. And, uh, you know, what, what's happening here is the prosecution is trying to show that universities were defrauded by Adidas and these uh, executives and these runners 
for breaking the rules. The assumption being that the universities work very closely to stay within the confines of NCAA rules and that they were defrauded by these uh, mavericks breaking the law. So that is actually what is being argued in this sense. And the defense is arguing in turn that there's corruption throughout college basketball and that this defrauding claim is completely ridiculous, which I think it is. So to me, I don't think that like, uh, you know, those defraud charges are going to be found to be guilty in this case. But what's going to be interesting is all the details that come out surrounding this. Like we already had the Oregon bombshell today. They were not in the FBI investigation throughout the entire story until today. Now in opening arguments, Oregon gets thrown into the fire. Uh, You've seen, you know, specific numbers for uh, Nazir Little and for D'Souza. You saw Dennis Smith Jr., who's in the NBA now with the Dallas Mavericks. I supposedly got 40K from NC State. I'm thinking that's a bad deal, Dennis Smith. You got to hold out. Brian Bones getting 150. Come on. (laughs) Uh, So the details are what's going to be really juicy about this thing throughout uh, throughout the trial. It's supposed to last a month. So this is going to be every day. But if you're a Virginia fan, as a national college basketball guy based out of Chicago, I'm not. I have no ties to Virginia whatsoever. I just follow them like I follow anyone else. Yeah. I can't even tell you if Virginia is a Nike school, an Adidas school, or an Under Armour school. I assume it's a Nike school. Yeah, we're a Nike but, school. But yeah. Like, we, <laughs> I don't know. It's not tied to it the way that Oregon or Carolina is. Or right. A school like that. So, uh, I think you know Virginia is just going to keep doing what it does. They're going to stack the roster with top 100 prospects. They're going to look to redshirt guys when they can. And they're going to try to build, you know, sort of the old school semblance of what we consider a college basketball team. And uh, especially as the one and done rule changes within the next couple of years, I think Virginia is going to be poised to be in a really good position uh, by going this route. Because, you know, these schools that are relying heavily on the blue chip guys, those dudes are going to go straight to the pros in 2020, 2021. Uh, And a school like Virginia at that point might have a nice stockpile of veteran players. I'm curious to see. I think one of the other things that may have helped people kind of move on from UMBC and all that is, is what coach Bennett has done in the recruiting trail since, um, since the season ended and they got a really nice commit from Casey Morsell. They've got Caden, Caden Shedrick, um, who's projected to be a four-star guy. Um, and then they recently got Carson McCorkle, who's right now, I mean, he's a 2021 could reclassify to 2020, um, but an outside shooter who's, could end up as a five-star and that's a huge early commit. So I think, like you said, that's something when all this stuff broke, you never want to be too comfortable because you know, you don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes. But for the most part, I was like, I am not concerned about Tony Bennett being shady on the recruiting trail or not. I mean, shady in the sense of like, you know, these kids, I want, you know, they should get some, they should get their money. And um, whenever someone goes pro good for them, but uh, Bennett follows the letter of the law, I think, when it comes to recruiting. And um, so I think everyone slept pretty nicely d- despite the uh, litany of allegations coming out. But it's a nice lead up to the to the season. Um, yeah. And I will say, I watched Casey Marshall play over the summer for Team Takeover. Uh, if you know anything about him, you probably know that Team Takeover was like the best team on the Nike circuit this year. They were just an absolute juggernaut. They had like five guys who were all sort of sharing the scoring duties. Uh, but I feel like playing within the confines of that structure in AAU, that he's going to be set to be a contributor right away when he gets on campus. We know he's yeah. a really good shooter, a little undersized at 6'2", but 
uh, he sort of fits the archetype of the type of guard that Tony Bennett's had a lot of success with over the years. So yep. I expect him to be a really good player for them. We're really, I, I know I'm really excited about it in the, um, yeah, he's the type of player that reminds you kind of like a London Perantes or a, or a um, Malcolm Brogdon, like a guy that's going to come in early, contribute right away and be one of those consistent Tony Bennett type guys. So um, yeah, it's, it's exciting looking at where they're going down the line. It's like, Braxton Key, whether or not he gets his uh, NCAA waiver to play this year or he has two years starting next year, um, the roster's looking pretty solid. Um, I know it's something they're set up for the future pretty well. But when you look at this coming season, as you said, there's a lot of really good talent coming into the league. There's a lot of talent that's retained from last year. Who are your final four picks for this year? Final four picks for this year. Wow, you're just going to put me on the spot just like that, huh? Right off the gate. If you want, you can start with your, like, let's do, okay, let's do your top five. Like, who's your one through five for this season? Like, to Yeah, start. okay, I'm going to be we'll, like, loud here, so work with me. I love Gonzaga. I think okay. Gonzaga is loaded. Uh, really think Rui could take a step up this year. Killian Tilly was fantastic last year. My boy, Zach Norvell, out of Simeon, Chicago, uh, turned into a really good shooter for them, broke out in the tournament. My only question with Gonzaga is that lead guard. Josh Perkins is like 6'4 and can't dunk. He's just not like a great athlete. <laughs> yeah. So if they had a more dynamic point guard, I would think that Gonzaga would be, uh, you know, a heavy favorite. Instead, uh, but Perkins is still good. Like, he's a senior. He had a huge first half in the national title game against North Carolina a couple of years ago, if you remember that. So, I really like that Gonzaga team. I think they can play a lot of different lineups. They have nice depth. Uh, so I'm going to throw them in there. Am I going to put them number one? We're going to okay. put them number one. All right. I feel like they have the best combination of sort of proven guys. Uh, so we're going to go with them. All right. I really like Duke. I know that's not a popular thing to say <laughs> on a Virginia podcast, but I'm going to defend it like this. This Duke season is basically a thought experiment where what if they had Jason Tatum, Jabari Parker, and Brandon Ingram all on the same team? It's basically what they have with Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, three long athletic wings who play both ends of the floor. Uh, Williamson and Barrett are super high IQ and competitive players. Mm -hmm. Reddish, to me, was the single most talented guy I saw while watching AAU and USA Basketball. I don't think he's as competitive and I don't think he has as strong of a feel for the game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how those guys sort of stack the pecking order. You also have Javin Delorier, who's going to be a center for them, who I think can be really good. He'll be reminiscent of an Emile Jefferson type. Uh, if you want to take solace in something though, Duke haters, this could be <laughs> it for Duke. This is a hot take. I'm, I'm getting ready to write because he doesn't have a commit in 2019. None of the top guys in 2019 are that good. They're not like there's no one out there who's the caliber yeah. of any of their top three guys this year. So I think that Duke could be prepared to take a big step back after this season. With that being said, I'm really high on Duke this year. They're going to be so much fun to watch. I love Zion Williamson. He's, he's going to be impossible to hate on because he's such a, a good kid and a endearing personality too. So yeah, I'm uh, already annoyed by that. You know, like I'm already mentally prepared to be like, damn, well, I really liked Bagley though too. And Carter jr. Um, yeah. I thought, I thought they were both like great dudes that I wish I could have hated more but really seeing them play in person I was like oh shit you're just really good damn it yeah. <laughs> so I do like Duke I'm gonna have them two three I'm gonna have North Carolina okay uh, that's not a consensus pick for Carolina but I really like the team now this is contingent 
on Nazir Little being able to actually play this year. We don't know what's going to happen in this FBI uh, finding during the trial, but Mm -hmm. love Nazir Little. I might take him number one overall in the NBA draft. I think he's scratching the surface of how good he can be. He's the type of player teams want at every level. 6'7 wings, 7'1 wingspan. He was a high motor guy. That's always why he was considered a good prospect. And then his skill level caught up with his motor. So now he's basically a two-way freak. As his motor continue, as his skill level, I should say, continues to develop his shooting touch from the outside, uh, his ability to handle the ball and create space off the dribble, he could be really good. Uh, and then you look at Luke May. They had the three freshman centers from last year, all going to be sophomores. They still have Cam Johnson, who's another big wing who could stretch the floor. Yep. Uh, they have Kenny Williams, who had some big games for them last year. He's a pure shooting guard. Point guard is the question mark, but they have Kobe White, who I love. The problem is that he's sort of in the Monte Ellis Lou Williams mold is like a scoring guard more than a pure facilitator. But I still think he's going to put a lot of pressure on opposing defenses really like North Carolina this year. I think they have a chance to win, to win it all. Uh, and they're going to be set up the way they're recruiting too. So yeah. I, I really like Carolina. We'll throw them in there. Uh, for let's go Kansas. Okay. This is stacked with uh, most notably three star transfers. They got Diedrich and KJ Lawson, transfers from Memphis. Diedrich Lawson, in particular, could be one of the best players in college basketball this year. He's a playmaking forward who is an unstoppable scorer uh, from, from the block, from mid-range. He's really good. Charlie Moore, another Chicago guy I got a ride for. He was a point guard at Cal a couple years ago. He's undersized. He's not the biggest, the fastest, but he's just really good. He has full mastery of the game, I feel like, in terms of controlling the tempo and being able to hit shots, create space off the dribble. So like him quite a bit. Uh, Kansas is just really deep. I mean, they just have a lot of guys. As Buki is back to shoot like 80% from the field and 20% from the foul <laughs> line. Uh, they got Quentin Grimes, who I think is going to be a really good freshman. I had him on my list of the top nine freshmen to watch in college basketball this year, which ran today on SBNation.com. Grimes is like a really tough 6'4 shooting guard. Reminds me a bit of like a Bradley Beal type. Okay. Uh, we'll see if the jump shot is on par with that, but he's really good, I think. So I like Kansas, and then, uh, you know, I guess I'll go with that as my final four. Okay. About final four, and then the fifth team I'll throw in there is Nevada, who, of yep. course, lost in the NCAA tournament last year to Loyola after having two massive comebacks. Uh, they get everyone back, most notably uh, the Martin Twins, who – you know, you have one one of the Martin Twins is a great defensive player and sort of a role player, and the other one kind of has that go-to scoring skill set. So they complement each other really well. Nevada also has a ton of transfers. They basically have too many good players this year. They've already uh, had to move on from one transfer because they oh, didn't wow. have enough roster. They also yeah. have Jordan Brown is an incoming freshman who will be a really good post player for them. Jordan Caroline is back That's as well. My favorite, battle. obviously. Yeah, Caroline, <laughs> fantastic. So – uh really like Nevada and you know it's gonna be a fun year because it's like it's wide open I think like yeah Duke fail with this super team formula again and again Kentucky is by many people considered to be the top team in the country I think Kentucky's way overrated yeah hopefully uh Big Blue Nation doesn't catch wind of this <laughs> because no one seems to agree with me here so I'll put my my neck on the line a little bit in that sense like I don't think they're going to have any shooting. I think that they got Reed Travis, who people love because he's put up these big scoring and rebounding numbers while at Stanford. Reed Travis plays no defense. He's blocked like nine shots in four years. (laughs) He can't stretch the floor at all. So to me, he's an empty calories big man. 
who will put up numbers but won't have a great impact on winning. The Stanford teams are never particularly good. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think they're freshmen this year. While good, they're not the caliber of Carl Towns or De'Aaron Fox or Malik Monk, in my opinion. So, uh, to me, Kentucky is way overrated. And, you know, that's, that's one of my opinions heading into this year is I think that for a team that is widely projected to be the number one team in the country, uh, I'm not even confident they'll win the SEC because the SEC is really reloaded this year. And, who's your who's uh, your sleeper or who's your pick in the SEC? Uh, I like a lot of the teams in the SEC. Most notably, I had some notes here that I'm pulling up. Give me one oh, second. Oh, good. All right, so I think everyone's pretty good in the SEC. LSU for sure. Tremont Waters might be the best player a casual college basketball fan isn't super familiar with. Uh, he was a point guard last year. I actually interviewed him as a high school player for a story on Steph Curry's influence in the game. He's yeah. sort of in that mold, even though you can't compare anyone to Curry, but he's a kid who's going to pull up from anywhere on the floor. He's only six feet tall. He doesn't look like he's a, like, you know, in, like a dynamic athlete by any means, but he's just really solid. They also have Nas Reed and Emmett Williams, two freshmen who are going to stabilize their front line. Reed is fantastic in particular. Uh, so I really like LSU. Tennessee, obviously, last year, they were one of the most one of the biggest surprises in the country under Rick Barnes. Uh, they have most of those guys back. Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams in the front court. I think that'll be really good. They have Jordan Boone back, Lamonte Turner back in the backcourt. So uh, like them, and you know, you can go down the line. I think Mississippi State's going to be solid with the Weatherspoon Spoon boys back. Yeah. Uh, I think that Florida is going to be good under Mike White. Uh, Kevon Allen last year, a little bit of a down year, but he could come back. Andrew Nembard could be one of the breakout freshmen this year. They also have Jalen Hudson, who is really good for them as a Virginia Tech transfer. Yeah. Um, so I just think the SEC is solid in general. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, Kentucky's not going to have a gimme all the way to sure. – you, know, you didn't even talk about Auburn, but Kentucky's not going <laughs> to have a to the title. Who's one team that is like a sleeper that you think could make noise that's kind of hanging out outside your top 25 or near the you know fringe of your top 25 that people aren't necessarily talking about, but you think could be a team that grows into someone that causes some problems for others? So I want to say I haven't totally done all my research yet, so I'm not like <laughs> super confident in this pick. But just lean into it. Just lean into it. <laughs> I'm just going to lean into it. Whatever. The team I'm going to go with is Arizona State. Oh, okay. Remember last year they beat Kansas early in the year uh, in, in Lawrence, which like literally never happens. This year, Bobby Hurley's got most of that team back with a couple blue chip recruits to boot. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the first name. It's like Dort is his last name, but he's okay. a big guard uh, from Canada who I think is going to be super good for him. He's a, a blue-chip prospect. They have Remy Martin back, the best name in college basketball, who's a textbook guard. He's a pest on the defensive end. He hits jumpers. They also have Romello White, who was really good for them in the front court last year. Daquan Lake will give them a veteran in the front court as well. And then they have a few guys who are joining the team this year who are in that like long athletic mold, uh, who I think could really stabilize them on the wing. Kamani Lawrence, Tayshawn Cherry. Uh, Zylan Chatham uh, transferred from San Diego State. So they just got a bunch of dudes. And I think that that could be a team that can make some noise potentially in the Pac-12. That's, I, I like the pick. We'll keep an eye on them just so we can either call you out or clap for you if you get that one right. Um, so let's shift a little bit to the ACC, something that obviously our listeners are super into and follow all the action of. Um, am I right to assume that you think – well, I mean, I won't assume anything – 
how do you see who are your top three in the regular season for the ACC when it shakes out? Who's taking the regular season crown? How do you think? Yeah, I'm going to say Duke Carolina are the top two and then Virginia's third. Uh, So I would expect those two to battle it out for the regular season crowd, but certainly uh, Virginia's right there. I think especially after what they did last year that you can't rule them out. And, uh, you know, to me, they're a cut ahead of the rest of the ACC behind them, like Florida State, which is a good team, but uh, I think, you know, Virginia's earned the right to be over them. Virginia Tech, NC State, Syracuse. You can go down the line. Uh, who knows how Louisville will be in their first year under Chris Mack. So I think, you know, Virginia is going to be right there. I would expect Virginia to be a top three, top four seed in the NCAA tournament this year and, you know, potentially as high as a two seed. Whew. What do you like about this Virginia team this year? We talked a little bit about some of the other stuff that they're going to play against in the ACC, but when you look at this roster and what they have to work with, what do you like when you look at this team? Mostly I like the backcourt. Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy coming back, that's huge. I think Ty Jerome is actually one of the most underrated players in America. If you look at his numbers, he's just so solid across the board. Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> he defends tough. Uh, he hit like 90% of his free throws. Yeah. High IQ player. He facilitates. I think he's kind of a sleeper NBA guy, actually, just because the way the game has trended into like players who – are just like solid mentally and don't have holes in their skill set. Like yeah. his athleticism and his size are like the two things holding him back, but he makes up for it with toughness, intelligence, and by being so sound in all the skill aspects of the game. And then you have Guy, who I feel like has an even better rep than Jerome. I would take yeah. Jerome over Guy, but Guy is still obviously really good. Uh, he was, you know, sort of the high use, higher usage guy last year. He's also able – to hit shots off the dribble. Uh, I'm interested to see if he can sort of step up his defense, become a little bit more of a facilitator. But, uh, you know, the thing about Guy is he doesn't turn the ball over. So yeah. that's really impressive about, about him. And then, you know, you just go up and down the roster. At Virginia, the next guy you got to name is DeAndre Hunter. I was really high on Hunter last year. I think that potentially he could be someone who shines a lot brighter in the NBA than he ever does in college because the league is trended so much towards those combo forwards who can, uh, you know, defend multiple positions, switch on that side of the floor, and then be able to hit a, a catch-and-shoot jump shot. I think he has that type of skill set. He should be really good. I want to see if he can create this year. Yeah. Like, Virginia doesn't usually ask their guys to create one-on-one in isolation situations, but that's sort of what I'd like to see for him. And uh, I'd like to see Virginia use him maybe as a screener, too, because he's so big and strong, and he can pick and pop, or he could dive, especially at the college level. So that's interesting. And then, you know, they have a lot of depth in the front court too, with uh, Jack Salt, Jay Huff, and how do I pronounce uh, the other guy's name? Yeah, Diakite. Diakite. So uh, he's another long athletic guy in the front court. So uh, I like this Virginia team, and especially after what they did last year. You're going to miss Devin Hall. Obviously, he had such a phenomenal season for them, but – uh, this is a program that sustains itself year after year. We've seen it. So, Yeah, I completely agree with you on, on Jerome because a lot of times what happens with the Virginia squad is when there's not a real flashy player, the way that voting goes with some postseason awards. Obviously, I don't want to knock anyone for getting a postseason award, but this past year, Kyle Guy, like making first team, I think some of our fans were like, I don't know, so-and-so, Hall's been better than Guy. And it's all – feel like you're picking a favorite child over the other (laughs) but um Jerome is just this 
consistent, confident, smart player that he plays with so much swag that's just, but it's still like low key. I don't think I can ever, I can close my eyes and see his fake pass to the scorer's table against Duke when he buried that three from like the middle of Cameron Indoor with five seconds left on the shot clock, only up by two points. Virginia hadn't won at Cameron since before anyone on that team had been born. And he just calmly and coolly just buries that shot. And he, he willed them back into that game at Louisville when they ended up winning on the last second shot by Hunter. And, and Hunter rightfully gets a lot of the attention for hitting that crazy banked in shot. But Ty Jerome willed them back into that game. And part of it where you mentioned IQ is he was leaning and looking for the contact on, on that three-pointer that got the, the foul called with 0.9 seconds left. Like he's just – he's going to be such a huge piece of this team. And I think he's – going to surprise a lot of people in that his numbers are going to maybe be better than what you see from Kyle and maybe maybe DeAndre could be a class above everyone on that team, on that court this year because I, I didn't even realize Jerome was 6'5 yeah he's a big boy he's and that's where he looks he looks less athletic because he's so big if that makes sense, like he looks a little, everyone's like, oh, he's not in great shape. He looks slow, but it's not the case at all. I think he's just, Virginia's used to seeing guys like we, you know, we had London Perantes out there for four years who was six one on a good day type thing. Um, but I, yeah, I'm really excited about this squad. I think there's a lot, the offense could be a lot better than Virginia's seen in a few years. And DeAndre is definitely a guy that can create one-on-one like the same thing with that, um, that Duke game. He kind of, can use that jab step and he took Bagley on a couple times and um, is, is greater on the basket. So I'm excited to see what they can do there. Um, what's the biggest weakness you see with this team though? Like there's obviously every team has a weakness. What's, what do you think with this team? What's going to bring them down if anything? Yeah. I don't think the front court is that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Salt is solid. Diakite has potential, but is a question mark to this point. So it's just going to be like, can the defense play up or can the front court play up to the defensive standard that has been set at Virginia over the last few years? And then what can they give you offensively? Like what is Virginia's best lineup? Is it moving DeAndre Hunter to the four and playing with only one tradition? Is it going super small and playing Hunter at the five where he might actually have the strength to match up against a lot of teams? Uh, You know, Virginia typically is obviously among the most conservative outfits in college basketball you know what they're going to do every single year they're going to grind the game down to a halt they're going to play that pack line defense and suffocate any dribble drive action uh so you know it's going to be like can they get enough buckets in a in a one game scenario you know they're going to do great in the regular season I assume they're going to make the NCAA tournament with a pretty good seed next to their name but uh in a single elimination format it's like sometimes you just need to have that extra gear offensively to be able yeah. to turn up the tempo or to have one guy sort of take over, which we almost never see at Virginia, even when they had Malcolm Brogdon, it seemed like he was more part of a unit more than, you know, the guy who really stood out. So perhaps Hunter becomes that guy this year with the NBA buzz circling around him in the preseason, perhaps Ty Jerome uh, ends up taking the lead in that sense. But I think that those are all really interesting things for Virginia uh, as they head into this year. Yeah. And when you, look at this team. I know you gave your final four, but what's the, what's the ceiling for this team? Is this a team like, so is this a Tony Bennett is Jay Wright and Villanova is in 
they can't make the they can't get it done in the big game until they can. Is this a team that you can see making the final four? Yeah. I mean, why not? Like like I said, it's wide open this yeah. year. Like I mean, I think Duke is insanely talented, but Duke's been insanely talented with super teams the last two years and they came up short. <laughs> do uh, they play do you think they're gonna play zone again? No, I don't think so, because these guys can all defend, whereas last year Bagley single-handedly tanked their defense. It's like <laughs> they couldn't play defense with Bagley on the court, so they had to play zone. Not whereas this year, these guys are all like wings. We're going to play like ball pressure defense. I think that their defense could potentially be really good, but they're not going to have the shooting that they've had in previous years. And, of course, Bagley was just automatic when he got the ball offensively inside the paint. So, uh, you know, it's a different team than last year, certainly, but uh, I look around college basketball, you know, like I said, Kansas is really deep and they're talented. And there's a lot of these other schools that are, you know, have good rosters on paper. But, uh, you know, Virginia's just proven that they're going to have a really good team year after year. I think Jerome is really underrated nationally. I think Hunter's in a position to work himself into a first-round pick this year. If he's not, it would be a disappointment. Yeah. Because he's, you know, been getting that hype now. Even him coming back was kind of a big deal because – I, he might have been a first-round pick this past year. Oh, gosh. So, I know everyone's really glad he came back. <laughs> uh, he emerged as the sixth man of the year in the ACC. So, yeah. uh, I think this year is wide open. I'm not going to put a cap on it, on what Virginia's ceiling is. And I think, you know, certainly they, they could make a Final Four run if they get the right draw, if they stay healthy and, you know, get the type of luck it's required to make one of those rounds. All right. That's awesome. So, that's great. We like to close out some of these things with um, rapid fire questions. Are you, are you game? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, so just the first thing that comes to your mind, uh, deep dish or New York style pizza? Deep dish, obviously. <laughs> you like your pizza like soup. Got it. <laughs> uh, are you a zone guy or a man defense guy? Man defense zone, just atrocious. I did not expect <laughs> anyone who plays zone. <laughs> so you, no Bayheim, all Tony Bennett. No, cool, 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 cool. Of course not the worst. <laughs> Uh, this one's easy. I know the answer, but we're going to make you go on a rant anyway. Cubs or White Sox? White Sox. The Cubs might be the single worst entity in the entire world. I mean, the politics around the Cubs are so bad. They keep trading for these horrible players, whether it's Raldis Chapman or Daniel Murphy. Or these guys who are just so utterly unlikable. Even at their best, the Cubs are just unbearably corny. <laughs> That's the nicest thing you can say about the Cubs, is that they're just insufferably cheesy. So... Uh, we're going to White Sox all day there. <laughs> all right, I teed that one up. All right, so if they're dropping the bag, which company are you picking it up for, Adidas or Nike? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not really I, – I feel like I shouldn't answer that as an objective journalist. I'm not, <laughs> That's I'm not fair. Uh, one shoe company or the other. I mean, if they want to send me some stuff. Yeah, yeah make, pick one and then make the other one change your mind by sending you some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so these last ones have a, a theme, and I think you can pick up on it pretty easily. Um, Best-looking college basketball coach? Uh, I guess I got to say Tony Bennett. <laughs> Best-dressed basketball coach? Let's go with Tony Bennett. All right, and favorite lounge singer who wants to do a duet with Lady Gaga? It's got to be Tony Bennett. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, Ricky, thank you for taking the time out in chatting college basketball with us it was awesome um we'd love to have you back on later in the season we can catch up again but uh really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with us tonight thanks caroline thanks all right and we're not done yet we have some football to talk about and to do that my esteemed co-host paul is here paul how are you what up i am doing phantasmagorical so things didn't go so great 
on Saturday, uh, Virginia fell to NC State uh, on the road in Raleigh. Um, what's your takeaway from the game? Are you dejected? Are you sad? Are you, is all hope lost? Like, what's your, what's your take? Certainly not that. I am, my dad asked me the same question the other day, and I was like, nah, I, it, it just – it's like everything I thought about this team is true next like it, it just there's just not a whole bunch that i feel like changes based on what we saw it's like yeah you know virginia is a still young still developing team without a whole bunch of depth that has big question marks on both lines and when you are an established program that's been recruiting to a specific identity at a high level for the last four or five years that's the kind of team you beat especially at home um yeah. you know i thought uh, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, exactly sort of what went down during the game, but the, the final score is a little misleading. Um, I feel like, I feel like it was, it was closer than a 15, 14 point game. Yeah. Um, and you know, some of the, the play by play metrics kind of, kind of bear that out. The, um, the S and P for, for, from Bill Connolly, the adjusted scoring margin was only about a 10, 11 point loss. So I think it was, it was closer than, it felt close almost the entire game. There were some big momentum shifts. Um, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to storm the barricades over this game. I, I, it's kind of what I expected. Yeah, we obviously talked about it being closer. We thought it would be, like, a score. But I agree with you that I don't think it was as far apart as the score dictates. Um, is Finley what – what was your takeaway of Ryan Finley in that game? Like, we talked a lot about him going in, being one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC. Do you – I was actually surprised to see the ire from the NC State fans on Twitter, like as the game was going on, being like, wow, he's really having a terrible day. And the whole time leading up to that, I was like, damn, this guy's really good. That's so annoying. Um, where do you, what was your take on Finley? I thought he was outstanding and I'd be happy to have, I mean, he's a good quarterback. What do you think? Yeah, I was impressed by his mobility. Like in my head, it was, it was Sean Glennon 2.0. Um, that yeah. he was just going to stand there and distribute the ball well and rock an arm. And, and what I kind of thought of as like a the classic NC State quarterback, um, the, mo- the mobility was really what surprised me. The play that Chris Peace got pretty much a free run and yeah. Finley kind of juked him left and right. And then I, don't, I can't remember if it was a completion or he just got rid of the ball. But either way, you know, that's a pretty athletic linebacker coming yeah. right into your grill and he was able to, you know, not just prolong it enough uh, uh, to sort of get hit and throw. He just he got stayed clean. Yeah. Um, so I was, you know, it, it, it it's it's the kind of mobility that pro scouts drool over. That it's not the he's mobile in a read option sort of way. That he means he's going to get hit thirty times a game. Sure. Um, he's mobile in that sort of shift the pocket, reset his, reset his platform and go. So that was, that was really what impressed me the most was, was seeing how he did that. Um, and I think the, the expectations game that you're talking about, you know, what Virginia fan wouldn't have loved to see a quarterback like that every year in Charlottesville. Yeah. Um, and, and seeing, seeing the pack fans get a little rabid um, was, <laughs> I was shocked. I was like, this is him being bad. What is good? <laughs> Yeah, I get like you, this you right think you've like, seen bad. This is right around like the fun, like when they were going for the ill-fated fourth and one and all that stuff where they're like, oh no, he fumbled it, like whatever. But um, I think you mentioned the lines. I think the lines were really what dictated this game. Virginia got really no pressure 
uh, significant pressure at least on the quarterback and state had their best running game of the season, which I think is absolutely 100% correlated to the fact that Finley just terrified them with his throwing abilities. And then they were able to pound the ball running wise, pound it up the middle, run that clock out. I feel like everything went really quickly um, in the second half. Like I just kind of looked up and I was like, what? It's the fourth quarter already. Yeah. Um, Do you, are you concerned offensively when it came to like Jordan Ellis was kind of stymied did any of the offensive stuff really bother you that much or was it just kind of like hey this is a team that's clearly a little bit or you know a lot better depending on what you want to think than Virginia they won the game they just kind of controlled things throughout yeah it was it was frustrating that way that it was that it was oh man things are going bad and they're not getting they're going bad in a way that I don't think they're going to get better um, yeah. that I, I will, I will say actually, I was impressed that as the offense shifted to being sort of one dimensional pass only Perkins still played really well. Yeah. Um, you know, the interception at the very end pretty much wasn't his fault. Um, and he was throwing into situations that state knew he was throwing with almost no time to throw in front of him. Um, so I, I would, yeah, I was frustrated that we couldn't get the run game going, um, but that that was probably the thing I expected more than more than anything. Um, I'll admit I was wondering whether NC State's defensive line could put on the same kind of performance we've seen from them in the past few years after yeah. losing that much talent to the draft last yeah. year. That's been the storyline with NC State this year is is how are you going to replace those guys? Um, but as as it became apparent that we that Virginia wasn't opening the holes they weren't able to sustain protection um it was sort of this feeling of like well that's that's going to make the offense a lot more one-dimensional um i think they could have done some more space stuff um getting putting kelly and and uh zacchaeus on the field at the same time i think it's going to allow for some really really interesting stuff yeah um with the screen game and swing passes and motion and, and misdirection because defenses are going to be wetting their pants making try to try and account for one of them as they've started to, as Kelly has started to show that more consistent play over the last couple of games. So that's, that's, I guess, sort of my bright spot from, from Saturday was seeing how Perkins played as essentially a pass only quarterback. Yeah. Um, and then the idea of Kelly and Zacchaeus on the field at the same time, complementing each other's weapons. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention it because we watched the game together this past weekend and you definitely heard me say enough about how angry or displeased I was with a couple, um, calls in the game, namely, (laughs) namely the completely and utterly botched review of the fourth and one, uh, at a big moment. Um, there were several instances where this was where they went up, um, 10-7 or 17-7. Either way, it was one of those they, – they had, by my count, three drives that were um, seemingly over, but a pass interference or botched review uh, kept the drive alive for the Wolfpack, and then they went on to score usually one to three plays later. Um, how – with a team that – like Virginia, we've talked a little – the margin for error is real small. How much does the – I mean, what did you, that just sucks. Like, I'm just frustrated. I don't even know like what question I want to ask. Maybe I just want to rant about it, but like (laughs) how you can look at the video and 
Finley never crossed the line to gain. He was parallel to the line to gain. How you can go back and look at it when the guy fumbles behind him, it bounces off someone else, and they said it went back to him past the line to gain. I just, it's really, really annoying. You and I disagree on the third uh, pass interference call. You thought it was uh, more close to, you know, yeah, that's a good call. And I was like, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was, very I, was, I, was, I was in fear for my life for a moment. Um, <laughs> just, if you see Caroline, don't disagree with her on things. Uh, just let her have her way. Um, this is true no, just I, in general. This is a, just, a yeah, no, it's just good general life philosophy. All the uh, joys are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on the Finley thing, as I've thought about it more, the – the what they came back and explained was the like the forward fumble rule that it that if on a fourth down if an offensive player fumbles forward only the, that player can recover it in a forward position um the fact that that was what they talked about when the official came back from the replay booth if i'm if i'm remembering it correctly what makes me think they were looking at the wrong thing yeah. Um, that it was, did he recover it or did somebody else recover it? Because whoever recovered it, they're in front of the line and didn't pay attention to the fact that when he recovered it, the ball was behind the line and he was laying on his butt. Yeah, like it's, he was on the ground. Yeah, so I, I that it looked, it looked like a really bad call. And one of the things we talked about at the time was how on that play is the call on the field first down as but like yeah. if I just that's the sort of like the human angle of it is if yeah. you're an official standing there and you see the ball bounce backwards, how is the first thing you think not? I don't think he got that. Like yeah. that, that, you know. So it was. Just, I it wonder was if they even saw that. the the fumble. It was my yeah. first, like I was like they must not. And that's my. And again, this isn't to say that if they call these two or three plays the other way or whatever that Virginia wins. But when you're a team that's as on a razor thin. <laughs> line like Virginia is this season those types of things like just are brutal especially when they finally looked like they came up with a big stop on third and nine and right. get 15 yards in a first down and like it's just like no they had him that wasn't right. it. I agree yeah, that and, and, the and last to go one. from sorry go ahead now I was gonna say the last one was questionable and maybe a little jostling but I thought the the second or the first pass interference that extended to drive that they scored two plays later I thought was just real like the defender or the wide receiver just tripped and yeah. or it was the uncatchable ball like it was way over his head yeah. like there was no chance and it didn't even look like he got like yeah he it was the defender's jersey more than anything else um yeah but. there there was a lot of contact on that i just the 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 momentum swing yeah you know going from 10 7 and getting the ball back with a minute left, more than a minute left, um, and you have the chance to drive and either tie or take the lead going into the half to all of a sudden after that call, it goes NC State touchdown, Perkins interception, NC State field goal. Yeah. To, like that sudden, you yep, know, it's exactly. 20 point swing. Like it's yeah. it big. Um, and so I think that's really why it's why it stuck with me was the feeling just like oh god it was like yeah it wasn't it was not by itself the game deciding play it wasn't right. you know a, a fourth and fourth and one at the goal line with one second left kind of thing but it yeah. was it definitely did feel like a kick in the gut huge to, momentum to thing yeah. turn around it stinks I agree with you I didn't nothing changed 
regarding my opinion of the team. Like, I don't think that they're worse than I thought they were going into it. Cause this was obviously a, a big litmus test, I think for a lot of fans and a lot of people looking at this game, cause it is the best team that they've played. I think NC state, depending on what happens with Clemson now with their quarterback injury issues and obviously their backup put together a really nice long drive to help them beat Syracuse. Um, but this could be a team that potentially looks like it could, could give at least give Clemson a run for their money. Yeah. Um, Cause the Louisville's and the Florida state of the world aren't going to do it. Um, I'm curious to see how good Boston college actually is because they haven't played as well the last couple weeks. And there was a lot of expectations on them, but this could be the team that, could battle Clemson for the top of the. Yeah. I mean, and, and they'll, they'll get it. So it's at Clemson, which that game will be at Clemson, which obviously is an incredibly difficult place to play. Um, and it's three weeks from that or four weeks yeah. almost from, from when Lawrence got hurt. So if, you know, if, if it's a, yeah, he got his bell rung. He's got to go through the concussion protocol. He's got to, you know, yeah. get some time to come back. He's got that time to do it on NC state side. They'll get it coming off of a bye week um so the yeah i think that 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 is going to be a very close race between the two of them um that'll be a very interesting game toward the end of october when you look at the coastal right now obviously virginia tech bounced back with a win win over duke duke struggled a lot um they've had their own injury issues and maybe it's finally come up to bite them um but tech's backup looked like Goddamn Heisman winner out there too. Um, does Miami destroyed UNC? So I think that kind of secure UNC was um, sneaky oh awful. I called it. I called it are. a long time ago in our one of our preseason podcasts. I coined the phrase "sneaky awful." That is what North Carolina was going to be. That is what North Carolina is. That is what North Carolina shall be for it. I'm going to hold on to all of my superlatives that I want to use to describe them until after we play them, just because. Oh, we're uh, going to lose to them, but they're still sneaky off. That's have. why they're sneaky. If they were overtly awful, we wouldn't, we'd be fine, but they're sneaky awful. So they're they, still going to get wins that they shouldn't. They had three pick sixes. It was so bad. I was, I was giggling like a maniac watching that game on Thursday. <laughs> because, and that's where I'm like, I still don't even know what to do with Miami. And we don't need to go into a full Miami preview at this point because we've got another podcast next week and Virginia has a bye, which honestly, this might be the best timed bye week that Virginia's had with Coach Mendenhall because the last two years, it's been after a really huge win. So, like, they went on the road and they destroyed Boise. They were clicking. Everything was looking great. And then they had a bye week and came out kind of flat. And, and I'm not – sorry. I'm not doing this to say, like, oh, they don't know what they're doing on the bye week. I just think it interrupted that momentum. They picked up a loss on the next game. And then the year before, they beat Duke on the road. It was their first ACC road win in forever and then came back and, and lost the next game. Right. So I'm kind of like, I feel and like with the all injury, of the ones after that, and then like the rest of them, which actually is true. <laughs> um, sad. Uh, but I think I'm with, here to help. I'm a helper. <laughs> where they are now with a little bit of, they've done some good things, but there's probably a good time to get some rest for some of the nicked up, you know, dinged up folks that could use some time. Um, and then to regroup. And now they're hosting Miami under the lights at, at Scott stadium on homecoming, which could be awesome. There's going to be a ton of recruits in the building. Yeah. Um, shaping up for a really great weekend. They're doing the, the blue and white Pepsi scrimmage, the Pepsi blue and white scrimmage, sorry, um, for basketball. You get a first chance to watch the basketball team. Um, so that's, that's a big 
I, I just don't know what to do yet with Miami. Like I watched them destroy Carolina, but it looked like a cat batting their food around. But the yeah, and, and the it's, food, it's like flying directly into the cat's mouth, though. You know what I mean, like <laughs> right, it was like a paralyzed bird trying to get away from a not particularly interested cat. It was, yeah. So, like, how good is the cat at hunting? <laughs> like, yeah. This is um, man. We have taken that metaphor about as far as I think as I think <laughs> stretched it out. I'm just keep um, like, is the cat domestic? <laughs> <laughs> it's an ocelot. Um, no, oh I, I I I hope that that Miami game will be fairly close. Yeah. I, I I feel like it's the kind of thing that you give Mendenhall a little bit more time to prepare. Um, again, it's a team that's got a lot more talent on paper than Virginia. I, I, I wouldn't particularly, I would quibble with anybody that said Virginia had more talent than Miami. I'm yeah. certainly not going to quibble with anybody who says Miami has more talent than Virginia. I, that's pretty obvious. Um, but it, you know, it, it is at home. It's, it's, this team will be, it's the first Saturday primetime game for Virginia in five four, years, four, four years, five years, I think. Yeah. Um, Credit to Eric Hobeck for uh, bringing us that that stat earlier in the week. Um, so it's it's something that I, I feel like I hope they get the crowd that they deserve. Yes, um, thank you. With it being homecomings, with it, I know nobody goes to the game because it's a big recruiting weekend. But that is that is why I hope all of the other factors come together to make it a yeah. a good um, a good atmosphere. Um, yeah. Because if it if it goes down kind of like it did last year against Miami, and then the second half doesn't implode, it, like there's just or even if it's a close loss to Miami and you play this this top twenty team close at home in a better atmosphere than anybody's seen at Scott Stadium in a while in front of a bunch of really really good recruits, it's it's got the potential to be a really really big weekend for the program yeah. in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I don't know. I hope. Yeah. So they're going to lose by 40 in front. Of <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they win by 12 in front of 40,000 people. How about that, Paul? God, 40. Is that what, is that? God. I don't know. We're just counting just, that as a win now. Like, your numbers. Please know. show up. Everybody Sorry. bring a friend. It's like, Seriously? it's like going to vote. Take three friends, Go bring to- them to Scott stadium. <laughs> yes. Just please. go. It's going to be Just awesome. Please. The weather's going to probably – well, I mean, I can't speak to that. Now that I say that, if I say the weather's going to be awesome, it'll rain because Brian's probably going. Um, he always brings the thunderstorms. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought mean, you were like, going to stop it. He brings the thunder. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I just – oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be lit. As the kids say, the lights will be on. Um, yeah, I, I think it could be a great opportunity for the guys and and – they can they can win that game. Why not? Yeah, I think they can they can beat anyone that's left on the schedule. They're, oh, they absolutely. Can. There's yeah. no one like if they were playing like a, a Clemson or a, there's no there's no Alabamas. <laughs> right. No I mean, it's Georgia's the, left on the on the schedule. The win probabilities for the rest of the season. Um, Miami is the lowest win probability according to Bill Connolly, and it's thirty six percent. Like yeah. that's you know it was it was shaping up over the, uh, before the NC State game. The win probabilities for NC State, Miami, and Duke, we're all at about 30, 30, between 30 and 35%, yeah. which means you should win one of those three games is, is how that kind of shakes out. Um, and 
both Miami, you know, Miami's now about a 36%, Duke is a 42%. Yeah. So, you know, of those two games, no, you're not going to be necessarily expected to win one, but you should have about a 70% chance of winning at least one of those games. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, hopeful. I am, I am very hopeful of uh, this, this next stretch. You know, it, we said in, in the season, the season previews, they can come out of the first six games at three and three. They're going to be in really good shape. Yeah. Um, we're, it's shaping up to be that way. And the back end of the schedule looks lighter than it did yeah. a month ago. Because that's know, what you look at. UNC beat Pitt. So then everyone on Thursday night was like, wait, you guys, how bad is Pitt? How bad is Pitt? <laughs> yeah. I mean, S&P ranks for the rest of the season – it's Miami is 18. Duke is currently 42nd. And then you get three games in a row that go 90, 85th, 110th. Is UNC 110? UNC is 90. Pitt is oh, 85. Georgia Tech's 110. Oh, Liberty. And Georgia Tech's 58. So even, and then, so even though Georgia Tech's a road game, at least as things stand right now, Virginia's favored. Uh, according to the the sort of advanced advanced stats and stuff, so I yeah. there's it is I am very hopeful and it's weird. It's it's October. It's a weird feeling, right? I know it's very very odd. But it's awesome. Like I actually am like bummed it's a bye this week. Like yeah, I wanted to see. How I they really enjoyed watching this team play. I will say, yeah. like, and there's just something about the feeling. And this is you know you know me. I'm not trying to knock the people who've played before or whatever. There's just a feeling. Why do you hate God, I love him so much. But I miss you in the NFL. I can't even watch it anymore. Um, there's just something with like the excitement of watching guys like Tavares Kelly and and Bryce Perkins and all of these guys on the field at once that I just legitimately feel at any moment this team could rattle off like a 67 yard touchdown, and I love it. It's super exciting. Um, yeah. And I've you know we've obviously done our love letters for Snowden <laughs> and Zane Zandier. Um, I will I, say it actually it feels different than last year's what was a four and one start. Yeah, um, that it just it felt unsustainable. It felt like a house of cards for some yeah. reason last year. A little bit like was, lightning in a bottle. Yeah, and this year it's like okay, they're three and two. They could have been four and one pretty easily. They could have been five and zero. Oh, like looking just, at yeah, um, and it's just it, there's this weird sort of confidence isn't exactly the right word, but a comfort with where the team is, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and a comfort that they are on track for their goals. And I feel like with this team, the longer that they see they are on track, the longer that they see that the plan is working, the more the plan is going to work. That it's yeah. as they see the, the proof of what the coaches are telling them, I feel like there's going to be more, more buy-in, more um, belief and confidence in, in what they're doing that's going to help maybe swing something that should be a loss into a win, should be a win into a bigger win that grabs headlines. So, yeah, I, it's, it, is, it is an odd feeling. Um, it, is, it does feel a little bit like the third fourth minute years you know you're as you're starting to see oh that's what they're trying to do and yep. it's working yeah um and you're starting to see the players come that fit the pieces that fit into that scheme and into the philosophy and i don't know i think it's good all right paul like do, you have a, do you have a star to hand out from saturday Ooh, uh i'll go with the kelly 
Um, I starting. I I think he's going to be um, the key to the offense for the next three years. I like seeing him become a pretty key part of the offense. Um, that when you've got a guy in the slot that can take the roof off of a defense, that's a really really good thing. Um, and I like seeing his timing and Perkins timing start to sync up on yeah. those deep routes. Cause once you start doing that, if you can start running, you know, bang eight with a guy that runs a four, three 40, um, that's a pretty potent weapon to have. So I like what I saw from him on, on Saturday. I am also very optimistic about what we'll see from him moving forward. Awesome. You? I'm, I'm going to do, I'll do two. So we get to our three stars. I'm also going to do a wide receiver. This is one that I kind of, I, I love me some Hassis Dubois um, first game that, or against Ohio. I talked a lot about his downfield blocking, which I love, but I thought he just had a pretty um, consistent game. He didn't have, you know, Zacchaeus was outstanding nine receptions, 109 yards and two touchdowns. Um, but I'm going with this one just because I, a little bit underrated off the, off the front page type thing. I just think he was consistent six for 67 yards. Um, he averaged 11 yards per pickup. And I just thought he was, He's a guy that is becoming the type of receiver that I just really enjoy to watch. Like he's consistent and is hard to tackle and a guy that when it's thrown to him, I expect the catch to be made, which is fun to start seeing. Like you said, the relationship build between Perkins and his receivers. And then I'm going to hand out a defensive one to Joey Blunt. Um, I thought he was very good. He had the most solo tackles with six one tackle for loss, um, and he had nine total. He's second on the team to the abominable Snowden um, with 11 tackles, but I thought Blunt had himself a very solid game. I felt like he was just, that game was the one where I felt like he was everywhere um, when they heard his name called a lot. But Maybe not a star, but a shout-out to Rob Snyder getting his first significant playing time um, coming back from an injury last year. Had you know assist, assisted on seven tackles, which is – yeah, you know, that that's that's a good sign from a guy filling in for a lot of injuries in front of him. So, I don't know, maybe it's a ha- it's an asterisk. It's not a, a star. Hat tip. Yeah, <laughs> tip of the old <laughs> ball cap. <laughs> All right. Good on uh, you, Bobo. Like we said, Virginia has a bye this week, but then they'll be back on the 13th for homecomings. They're playing under the lights at 7 p.m. at Scott Stadium. It will be on either ESPN two or ESPNU. Um, and stay with Streaky Milan for the next, well, forever, but also keep an eye out for great basketball content every day from now until the basketball season starts on November 6th. So the countdown is going on on behalf of myself and Paul and everyone here at Streaky Milan. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Go Hoos! iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. 10R is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. 
Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today.